You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to join us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. To all of those who bring that which, is, that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us in this life. To those people who lived well and died well and crossed exquisitely and beautifully over to the other side. That they could look back to their descendants and offer their help, offer their guidance, offer their don't do that, I did that and it was terrible kind of help so that we can learn from those who have gone before us. Draw forward the rich and wealthy traditional legacy that exists and also to let go of that which must be released that even our favorite bits we may need to let go of so that we can go forward in a new way and rise to the call of those who are coming so we ask these ancestors to gather around us and to help us help us to do what must be done uh, by the living in this time and I call out not only to the ancestors in human form but the ancestors in life the great spirits of the land, the plants, the animals, to all of life that is here on earth with us. And we ask you to help us to make wise decisions that are good for all living things. And as we feel the energy of the helping spirits gather around us, let us call our own energy in to our head, from our head to our heart, and from our heart down to our belly. And from our belly, let us reach to the earth. And with great heart, with great gratitude, let us touch the earth and give thanks for your life. Thanks for this day. Thanks for all that has been that has brought you to this moment. Thanks for all that is. And thanks for all that will be. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder in her dreaming that brought life as we know it to this planet. We give great gratitude to diversity. Gratitude for beauty. Gratitude for the awe and the wonder of life and gratitude for the enormous generosity in this dream that we are able to transform. As long as we are breathing, we can change and we give great thanks for that aspect of life. And with great, great gratitude in our heart for those things named and unnamed, we reach down into the earth, spreading our gratitude as we go into all the layers of the earth until we reach the very center of the earth. And as we touch into this deep, deep energy, darkness, stillness, quiet, solitude, let us draw that energy up into ourselves, into our bodies to be restored and replenished and renewed by this energy. And as we draw up all the wisdom of manifestation, let us feel this energy moving through us and let it, let it teach us how to ground, how to choose to be grounded and to do so, such that we move through the world in a better way. Let us draw this energy into our lives as we create a sense of hearth and home and family. And let us do so in a way that opens our homes to the other, to those who would bring in ways we've never seen the world before that might help us to awaken to those aspects of ourselves that lie dormant, uh, bored to stillness and sleep by our common way of doing things. And we call out to that energy of the earth to help us to have patience for those things in life that require practice, that, we, we, that require that we do the same thing again and again to maintain and sustain that which is meaningful. And we give thanks to the earth for helping us to connect helping us to understand the interconnection with others, with the environment around us, and ultimately to connect all the way into this great web of life and understand our place in the real energy, that energy that is underneath that which we experience around us. And let us take our place here in this great oneness. And from that place, let us come into right relationship with ourselves. 
And with the energy of the earth within us, let us draw up from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds and send this energy out and up, up into the sky and whatever weather it holds for you here today and out through the atmosphere and all the way out in the cosmos. And imagine for a moment that your energy is caressing all the heavenly bodies and being caressed by the heavenly bodies and all the wonders of our universe we do not yet understand. Let us reach all the way into the great mystery all the way into the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know that energy, know it. Know yourself in it and it in you. Connect with this energy and draw it down. Drawing into yourself, drawing into your day, drawing into these proceedings, the energy of blessing, the energy of devotion and commitment, the energy of protection, the energy of generosity and the benevolence of this world in which we live. We draw this energy in and may we find in it the inspiration and illumination, the innovation that will allow us to go forward in new ways. And so we draw the energy of the sky into our heads, our heads to our hearts, our hearts to our bellies. And with a nice deep breath, we send the energy all the way down to the center of the earth. And we take a moment and revel in the wonder of the fact that we as humans are a place, that the heaven and earth come together in that great dance of these two legendary lovers. This, this big love that gave birth to form as we experience it. And may the big love within us, this energy of heaven and earth together, awaken the spirit of our hearts. May the heart energy awaken. And draw up the fiery passions of the belly, draw down the crystal clarity of the mind, and draw these energies together in the heart that they might dance passionately, fully together. And give birth to this third thing that is not yet known, which is the great mystery and why you are here, your unique genius, some sense of your soul's purpose. And may you find in your human heart the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts out, manifest into the world. May what needs to be said... (laughs) here today be said and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things we give great gratitude for the spirits that gather around and help us in each day and i give great gratitude to you those who gather around and listen to the show those who do things with the show those who are allowing um, new ideas to change your life those who grapple and wrestle with things on the show i give thanks to all of you i give thanks to kate and sarah and cadence and your ability to offer financially to keep the show on the air this show is entirely listener supported and without your assistance i could not do what i'm doing my time my energy the ideas are my gift to the show but without your help financially i could not keep the show going because it does cost thousands of dollars a year and so i give great gratitude to those of you that can give And I understand that some of you can't. And in this way, we form a community that allows something that we mutually value to happen. And so if this show is meaningful to you in any way, I ask you to do something, large or small, to help this show to grow in some way out there in the big world. If you go to whyshamanismnow.com, you can leave um, a donation for the show, any amount, large or small, that all goes to keeping the show on the air. Uh, Many of you have figured out in your own PayPal account, you can actually set up a recurring payment, and I appreciate um, those of you who have done that as well. All the many ways, um, all the many things that you are doing, everything that's happening to keep the show alive, on the air, relevant, interesting, I give great gratitude. This is not something I am doing. It is something we are doing and I am very grateful and I give thanks to co-creatornetwork.com for helping us being our producers and giving us a home and nurturing and supporting us in the creation of these shows in the world so thank you all and all the many things that you're doing to help this to be available to anyone in the world who can get onto the internet internet and connect with the shows we are not alive today Um, But you are certainly always welcome, if you have questions about the show, to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. You never know when your one single question turns into the entire part two of a show that has happened. So thank you all for your help in making the show uh, grow and live and be an ongoing conversation about how we become the new people who will write the new story for the new world so that we do not simply repeat what we've been given, but we learn 
from our own lives, not only from those who have gone before us, but we learn from our own lives and we stop doing that which doesn't work, that which doesn't have heart and meaning, that which creates illness in the world. And we start doing what needs to be done to answer the prayers of the people. So today's show is about the messianic complex and shamanism. So shamanic initiatory experiences often involve a break with reality and a time of madness or what would be judged as madness. Um, And this is perceived of by the person having this experience as a kind of test or a challenge that has been initiated by a helping spirit. The novice that allows a death of his or her current self um, and then moves through this madness to another side, through the challenge, through the test to the other side is transformed. And after this transformation occurs, the novice returns uh, to a more ordinary state of consciousness, not back to who they were, but forward, but nonetheless into a more ordinary state of consciousness and returns to their people. And in this way has new answers for their prayers. And so the person who has entered into this experience, a novice, emerges on the other side of this experience, a shaman. So if you grow up with people who explain life through a shamanic cosmology, your mind is prepared to interpret your break with everyday reality as a shift of consciousness into the other world. If you grow up in a shamanic cosmology, you're prepared to understand that that's what's happening to you. So, And the other thing is you're also prepared to understand through a shamanic cosmology that these things happen. They happen to people all the time and that potentially it happened to all people in other words this break and this slip into this profound extreme state this this alternate reality is normal that this is what happens to people in the effort of life and people to mature in their spirit in their psycho-emotional and psycho-spiritual self That this is, in a shamanic cosmology, these breaks with reality are ordinary, are necessary, and are simply part of what it means to be human and engage with the world in which you have been chosen to be born in. (coughs) Excuse me. So when you're raised in this way to view the world, your mind is prepared to perceive of this shift of awareness as a return or as a connection to the oneness. A shamanic cosmology also prepares you to do two things when this shift occurs. Whether this shift into this alternate reality has occurred spontaneously or been intentionally provoked. Either way, you're prepared by your culture to do two things. To discern this experience as a test or a challenge which you must participate in. You're not a passive viewer of the weird images of the altered state but you're expected to engage with this reality that you are being challenged you are being tested and you must engage with the experience to transform for you to transform the second thing that you're taught to understand if you grow up in a shamanic cosmology is that while you're in the midst of this experience that you are expected to reach out to the spirit world for help Okay, now in contrast, in America and frankly, many other worlds shaped through these same cultural ideas, um, same and historically the same cultural ideas. Um, so here in America, which is all I can speak to, similar breaks with reality happen all the time, but they lead to this dead end, commonly referred to as a messianic complex in which the person having this extreme state experience perceives of themselves as a savior or as the Messiah, who's, who's, who's this unique special person like Christ who's been given a special mission from God. And so this story of Christ, which is so deeply embedded in the contemporary consciousness in the Western world, um, is a visionary story that prepares the mind not for oneness, 
but prepares the mind to be the one. And then it prepares the mind for the inevitable path of the one into martyrdom that inevitably follows. So the interpretation then of this very normal and natural alternate state of reality is this mental cul-de-sac for the individual uh, because the person is the Messiah in this experience. They are the special one being handed this mission from God. They don't reach out for help. Why should they? They're Christ, right? They don't reach out for help into the energies that are larger to themselves. They're special. The mission is being handed down to them. So they don't it, – it's – um. It creates this egoic response versus or in contrast to the response of the novice in a shamanic culture who goes kind of, holy shit, I got to die here and I need to reach out to this bigger world to help me. It's a very different response to exactly the same break with reality. So in this contemporary kind of American response here, it's not that the larger energies – aren't perceived the very these very real large uh, the the energies that are behind the ordinary reality that we experience it's not that these larger energies aren't being perceived they are by the person in this altered state they are quite accurately perceived but they are interpreted through the lens of the contemporary culture they are seen as the world that was promised or the world that you personally will figure prominently in creating. It's the promised land. It's the second coming. It's, uh, so this, this world that's experienced is interpreted. And it is this interpretation that is the point. Um, that, that it is interpreted as the thing that must be. Without the realization that it is simply an experience of the deeper reality that already exists. It always has, it is, and it always will be. So the person, given that they are Christ or the Christ-like figure, doesn't even look for their challenge. Why should they? They're the Messiah, right? The personal challenge in the experience that can only be completed through sacrificing the false self on the spot and reaching into the greater world for spirit, that personal challenge is entirely missed because it must be asked for. Because in these altered states, these alternate states of reality, the question is shaping the reality. And so if there's no question, if you just go, I'm special, I'm the Messiah, I'm being given this mission to change the world and make this world happen, you're utterly missing the actual purpose of this break with reality, which is you are being challenged. You are being tested. You need to surrender that ego. Reach out to the larger energies and emerge on the other side of this experience transformed because that reality that's being experienced and perceived with the interconnectedness, the beauty, the wonder, that's real. And it's already real. Always has been, is, always will be. It's the real reality underneath what we're experiencing. And the purpose of the transformation from a shamanic perspective is to become the kind of person that can then help other humans live in a way that engages with that real reality and creates interactions with other humans and with the environment around us, with our world, that is the logical conclusion of the fact that we live in this beautiful interconnected world. Okay, so what's happening though is if I'm having a messianic complex interpretation of my altered state experience, then I'm not asking the question. I'm not engaging in the challenge. I'm simply at awe in the wonder of what the world will be when I accomplish my mission I've been given by God. So since the person is Christ who now has the mission to bring the world to the promised unity and peace, 
there is no transformation completed, no larger connection with spirit for guidance established while in the altered state, in the alternate state. And that's important that these relationships with yourself, your soul, and your helping spirits are reforged in that alternate state, right? So then when a more ordinary state of consciousness returns to the person who's had this um, messianic complex interpretation of the alternate state, there's been no um, reforging of these relationships. So when they come into this more ordinary state of consciousness, um, the individual is largely the same, only now they have these memories and visions of what could be if they could only do their mission. So they're put in this very uh, challenging place. So then when the visions are shared because they're usually fairly excited and they want to motivate people to make the vision happen, to get, to get with their mission they've been given. Uh, but since in the person, there's been no actual challenge and transformation grasped and experienced and moved through, then this whole experience uh, of this this vision and this mission from God takes on a kind of ecstatic and true and beautiful uselessness. And so this is how the person who's had this high experience of being given this mission by God, being tapped as the special one, leads to the end of the Christ story, which is the martyrdom at least as it's commonly portrayed, right? The martyrdom, that Christ died for our sins, the martyr, that this is largely the story experienced by countless people who have been diagnosed as quote-unquote mentally ill in our culture. So this, this Messiah complex is not a sign of mental illness. It is a misinterpretation of a common and necessary altered state experience. It is necessary in that if it's interpreted and engaged in accurately, the person enters the experience as a psycho-emotional child, no matter what age they are, um, and then they emerge from the experience a budding psycho-emotional adult who is now capable of beginning the journey into spiritual maturity and a real efficacy in living in the world in such a way that that real reality is made apparent to others. So let's return for a moment to Seth Farber's excellent book, A Spiritual Gift of Madness. And then remind, this is an interview from 18 months ago and remind people of the mad pride movement, of the history of successful alternatives to standard pharmaceutical psychiatric treatment and psychotherapy and remind people of the growing promise of an entirely different way of viewing alternate states of consciousness that have been labeled psychotic. Now, If you are taking pharmaceuticals for a diagnosed mental illness, read this book. Read Seth's book, The Spiritual Gift of Madness. Or view Eleanor Longdon's TED Talk, The Voices in My Head, in which she shares the story of how she overcame her diagnosis of schizophrenia to earn a master's in psychology and demonstrate that the voices in her head were a sane reaction to insane circumstances. And so this is what's written about uh, Longdon's talk, or her life actually, that despite what traditional medicine may opine, Eleanor Longdon isn't crazy, and neither are many other people who hear voices in their heads. In fact, the psychic phenomenon is a creative and ingenious survival strategy that should not be seen Uh, Not as an abstract symptom of illness to be endured, but as a complex, significant, and meaningful experience to be explored. It's a beautiful talk. And one of the things that she does say that, that clearly was a pivotal and crucial point in her story and her ability 
to transform her initial interpretation of this experience as well as everybody else's into something else, some other understanding of what was happening to her is um, that her mother believed in her. Her mother believed she would find her way through this experience. And while she did ultimately find her way through the experience, this took years, years of suffering. And that's an important point in, in the bigger point that I'm trying to make here today. So the other thing you could do is you could listen to Ellen Sachs' TED Talk uh, that begins, I am a woman with chronic schizophrenia. So it's an amazing, harrowing talk. Um, Ellen Sachs is a law scholar, a writer, and a MacArthur Fellow who, deep into her career, dropped a bombshell. She offered her autobiography, The Center Cannot Hold. It's another book you could all read. And in it, she reveals the depth of her own schizophrenia, how, uh, which is now, in, in her case, controlled by drugs and therapy. And that this is a clear-eyed and honest um, speaking of her story about her own condition and her book itself uh, was written to lead ammunition to what is her quest, which is to protect the rights and dignity of those who are diagnosed as mentally ill. So the good news here today is that the landscape is changing. And it's largely being forced to change by people who will not accept the limitations imposed on them by the diagnoses they have been given, by a system that largely does not understand what is actually happening. So I find it odd that the change has occurred without any real connection into the shamanic worldview. Because this connection would certainly quicken the path to a more accurate interpretation of what is going on when these people experience this alternate state of consciousness. But it is interesting to me that this is an arena where you have historically, over tens of thousands of years, people experiencing very similar breaks with reality and alternate states of consciousness. And these are transformed in one event. It may last several days or even weeks, but are transformed in one event from child to adult or basically from adult novice into shaman. And it's very odd to me that the people doing this research aren't paying any attention to this because here we have people all over the contemporary world um, suffering because of a simple misinterpretation of the exact same experience. And then because of that misinterpretation, which leads then to a diagnosis, which leads then to pharmaceuticals, they are taken on this long journey that is utterly unnecessary and years of suffering that are unnecessary. Now, partly it's because, well, not partly. It is because we, the people involved in this, do not have cultural understanding that can correctly interpret what's going on. So the culture is failing, the people who are having these experiences, but also the people are failing themselves because we don't have to carry around stories that don't work. And that's essentially what I've been talking about all year is if we are to become the new people who are going to write with our lives a new story that will shape a new world and a new arc of existence for humanity, then we have to be willing to let go of stories that fail us. And that is what today's show is about, a very particular story that is failing us. So the shamanic cosmology prepares the mind to see a world in which two things are different from the contemporary, well, many things are different from the contemporary American cosmology. But relative to our show today, two things are different. When viewed through a shamanic cosmology, these alternate state experiences, these breaks with reality, lead to successful initiations that turn the person into someone who can do useful action in the world. And 
through the shamanic cosmology, this prepares the mind to see the world in such a way that creates a culture that thrives on and propagates the values that lead to actions day in and day out that result in sane circumstances for life. Because if you remember in Eleanor Longdon's response, she says she realized that her quote-unquote schizophrenia, that those, um, that complex of activity in her mind and in her life was actually a sane reaction to insane circumstances. And so part of my point about viewing life through a shamanic cosmology is it tends to lead people to create sane circumstances for life. And I've done many shows, well, from the beginning, but certainly this year about how we are propagating insane circumstances for life. And this, this is nowhere more apparent than in our, our approach to mental illness, but more so in our generation, our, our propagation of mental illness in people. We're making people sick in their minds and in their hearts. Because of the way we're choosing to live, because of the stories we've chosen to believe that shape our sense of reality. Back to the show on cosmologies. I wasn't saying pick one way. I was saying question your cosmology. You have one. What is it? What kind of world is it leading you to create with your actions? And if you don't like the world it's leading you to create, then change your cosmology. You can do that. It is not a given. It is a choice. So back to Farber and his book, The Spiritual Gift of Madness. So obviously I agree with much of what he is saying in this book, that one should not be diagnosed and drugged out of this particular type of extreme state experience. Um, he speaks beautifully about the history and the evolution of um, psychiatry and psychotherapy in America and shows that there was a period of time in which there were alternative paths to pharmacology. Right? There were other paths and that there were other responses that have been tried and that they did succeed, but they were not profitable for pharmaceutical companies, that they require engagement on the part of the person seeking the care, that they're not passive. You don't just get to take a pill and hope it will go away, but the practitioners must engage and the people asking for help must engage. So there's no – no one gets to opt out and be passive and expect uh, chemistry to do what people need to be doing with each other and for themselves. So I agree with that aspect of what Farber is saying and I appreciate the, the rigor and the integrity and the exhaustiveness in his research and his retelling of the path of evolution of our current system around how we treat mental illness. Anyone involved in that system needs to read that and understand how we got where we are today. So one should not have to be diagnosed and drugged out of this type of experience. That the complete experience as a challenge and a process is essential to spiritual health. However, we must drop the old Judeo-Christian paradigm of reality if we're actually going to get back to this place of having the complete experience, one that is going to actually contribute um, without years of suffering, unnecessary suffering, to our spiritual health and maturity. The paradigm, this messianic complex paradigm, dead ends the individual having this alternative state experience again and again in the messianic complex interpretation, which is embedded in a story that polarizes us in a world of good and evil, demons and angels, heaven and hell. It is the very story that tells the lie as truth, the lie of separation, and polarizes us into this idea 
of um, antagonistic opposites. That that polarity itself, dualism itself, is by nature antagonistic, which is only a perspective. It is not true in the deeper energies underneath things. It's a way of interpreting this reality, but it is the fundamental lie embedded in the old world that drove the old story that had such high visions, such high hopes for humanity, drove it directly into a state of unsustainability, of destruction, of seeds that don't germinate, of bees that are dying, of oceans that are destroyed, of a way that human beings are living on a planet where their own greed and excess is keeping them from supporting and cultivating the very things that lead to having food to eat. How much more fundamental can life be? When will we wake up? As Sandy just talked about last week, being lost, being asleep in this cultural dream, we must wake up out of this paradigm of good and evil, demons and angels, heaven and hell. It doesn't work. It is in and of itself a dead end of unsustainable life. It's not helpful because it does not describe a path of transformation. It describes a path of martyrdom. And what is even more important is that it doesn't describe reality. The energetic reality under the apparent surface of things is a world of complementary dualism in which everything is contained in the other and all is one. There is no antagonistic polarity of things unless your mind has been trained to see life through that lens. The messianic complex actually permeates all walks of contemporary life. It is not unique to people who have been diagnosed with some version of being psychotic, right? So let's, let's look. My life, I'm just one regular old person moving through a contemporary American life, right? So messianic complex permeates all walks of life. Almost every guy that hit on me at Harvard had grandiose delusions, Almost every single one. This whole group of, what are we calling them, millennials, right, who expect to go to work, be complimented every single day, do absolutely no work and be promoted every third day that are at work, right? Grandiose delusions. I have met many individuals in my life whose egos are so overdeveloped and overfed that the voice of their soul will never be heard. And we see this type of person all over our political and religious landscape in America. I see it in these Aya kids, these young individuals who are certain that ayahuasca has chosen them personally to carry the message of ayahuasca to the world, right? As if shamans haven't been doing this exact thing for tens of thousands of years, as if they are the first ones and the only ones to ever get this message of interconnectivity from this plant hallucinogen. So this messianic complex, this idea that I am the chosen one and I am being given a mission by ayahuasca, by God, by peyote, by whatever, right? permeates contemporary culture. So my question is, does the hubris of contemporary culture come from this way in which the Judeo-Christian story permeates, prepares the mind to see the world through a Christ complex? Or is it the other way around? I'm, I'm really not sure which came first. So, in, But what's interesting is that instead of cultivating the humility, the service, and the brotherly love that is at the heart of Christ's teachings, instead this story right, cultivates hubris in the high functioning, in the low functioning, in, throughout, permeates throughout the culture. 
So this year, we've been exploring the problems inherent in the old story. And we need to look at things like our small and personal ideas of God. We need to look very carefully at the idea of hell and all the damage that idea does at the time of passing through that final gate from life to death. We need to look very deeply, very deeply into the efficacy or the lack of efficacy in our system for diagnosing and treating what is quote unquote mental illness. So a messianic age, for those of you that Google other things, is the long-awaited day of peace and happiness for all, for the coming of a world of unity in which sin will be forever destroyed. Okay, and then technically a messianic complex, also known as a Christ complex or a savior complex, is a state of mind in which an individual holds a belief that they are or are destined to become or to give birth to a savior. And the term Messiah complex is not addressed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. But symptoms of the disorder closely resemble those found in individuals suffering from grandiose delusions or delusions of grandeur. So this form of delusional belief is most often reported in patients suffering from, here we go everybody, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Little is known about the disorder, but is believed that it may, as many as 10% of the population may hold similar beliefs in one form or another, though not significant enough to warrant a diagnosis, which is what I was just saying. This, this messianic complex is embedded in our culture, and it in and of itself keeps us, well, from understanding Christ's teachings, number one, but more importantly for my point of the show, it provokes mental illness and keeps us from understanding that break with reality as the transformative process it's meant to be. So this lens for looking at life colors how we experience what we experience. So let me read you something. There are so many of us out here who feel the world with thin skin and heavy hearts, who get called crazy because we are too full of fire and pain. Who we know other worlds exist. And we are not comfortable with this version of reality. You know, I could have written this. Right? As could almost anybody else involved in shamanism. That just described the type of person that finds their way into shamanism. Even if just as a, as a practice, as a spiritual practice. So let me continue with that quote. A lot of us have visions about how things could be different, why they need to be different, and it's painful to keep them silent. So this quote I just read you easily describes me, very easily. So this could easily describe anyone who's into shamanic healing or simply living life through a shamanic practice. And there's nothing in it that's really new if you look at the history of shamanism. But this quote comes from the Icarus Project Collective. And the Icarus Project's mission um, is that they believe that they, those who have been diagnosed as as psychotic, have mad gifts to be cultivated and taken care of. And that by joining together as individuals and as a community, the intertwined thread of madness and creativity can inspire hope and transformation in, in an oppressive and damaged world. So there is a tie. There is obviously a connection between or among people that are experiencing this particular kind of break with reality. The issue is how we interpret it and where that interpretation leads us. So why do contemporary people have so much trouble with an experience that shamanic people have been using quite easily and effectively for tens of thousands of years? And they've been using it to initiate children into adulthood and adults into their calling in life. So I've been mulling over this question actually ever since I interviewed Dr. Farber 18 months ago. Why is this such a struggle for contemporary people when shamanic people work with it just fine? And when a, when a contemporary person who sees life through a shamanic lens can actually work with it just fine. So the difference is that shamanic people don't get stuck in the messianic complex. 
that they certainly dive into these other qualities of this alternate state. But my sense is that the Christ complex is a complete overlay on this ancient and sacred experience, that it is not inherent in it. It is, it is an overlay. It is a contemporary misinterpretation of a fundamental human experience. So this means that on one hand, we are not preparing our people to engage in the real energies when they are drawn into this threshold of initiation. But then I have spoken exhaustively about this in other shows. Well, frankly, for all five years. So it seems, so this is what we're talking about today, that the other issue is that we need to look at our tendency to see life through the lens of the messianic complex. We have people being drawn daily into this threshold of initiation, but they aren't coming out shamans. They aren't moving through a process that transforms them. Remember what I talked about before, challenge, question, reaching out to the helping spirits, dropping your false sense of who you are and emerging on the other side of this experience transformed. Instead, contemporary people are cycling through, returning again and again to this cul-de-sac of this messianic interpretation of this experience. Yes, it is true that you have a mission to fulfill that supports all of life. Yes, I know this is true because we all do. That's what a shamanic cosmology teaches you. That's what it prepares your mind to see. What if all of this terribly painful, high-end suffering in the diagnosed mental illness is just chronic misinterpretation of that altered state reality because their mind is prepared by our culture and our deep Judeo-Christian bias in the culture to see this experience through the lens of the messianic complex. You're prepared to see it in that way. And all of this suffering, what if all of this suffering, all of these years spent lost in our psychiatric medical system, what if all of this is simply a misinterpretation because you've been pre-programmed and prepared to see this through a messianic lens. And that is, this is that very misinterpretation, that lens, that is actually the only problem here. Because falling into that altered state isn't the problem. It's what you do with it and how you interpret it. So let me pause here for a moment. So first off, please do not send me 100 different Jesus was a shaman emails. Because that will prove to me that you are missing my point today, that you are reacting and not listening. It's not that Jesus as a shaman is not true. It's just that that is not the point today. That would be to miss the point entirely. So, secondly, if you find for yourself great faith and devotion and inspiration in any of humanity's monotheistic religions, that is truly a beautiful thing. Faith and devotion are beautiful things and they are necessary for transformation. So if this describes you, then what should you do with this show? I would suggest two things. The first thing is to investigate the actual teachings of your mystic, whoever the mystic is, that is the core teachings of whatever your religion is. Study that. In other words, go to the source. Ignore all of the people that have interpreted and misinterpreted along the way. Go to the mystical source of your religion that you love and work there. So that's number one. The second thing that you should do, I'm suggesting that you do simultaneously, is that you actually investigate the history of your religion so that you can see how the story around the teachings has changed, has been affected by the politics and has been adapted to influence the people in different times so that you can see the story that is wrapped around the teachings. Like, so, for example, why did the church focus on the crucifixion instead of the resurrection? Why is it a story of martyrdom and not a story of rebirth? What is the politics in that? 
And in this way, you can learn the difference between what is the old story and what are the teachings from the source of that religion. And once you do that, you can live the teachings and release the story. And in this way, you will be one with that teacher who's at the heart of that religion that you feel such faith and devotion for. Okay, so that's one thing. So now if you bear the burden, if you're, if you're listening to the show and you bear the burden of one of these diagnoses of psych- psychoses, some kind of mental illness, I strongly suggest that you ditch any version of reality that involves a messiah and this inevitable battle between good and evil because that will only confuse you as you enter into these extreme states. These extreme alternate states aren't actually operating in that kind of antagonistic dualism, right? So your greater awareness is naturally moving you into this place of interconnectedness and of flow and into this, this, uh, per- this uh, perceived reality that you go into when you have a break with everyday reality. So yes, it's amazing this other reality and at the same time it's no big deal don't freak out people have been going there for forever what you need is to interpret that experience accurately question your messianic tendencies and go for a shamanic perspective yes you have a mission so does everybody else no you're not the savior no one is We are all one. You are not the one. So the second part of this is that what you do, you, so what do you do with this knowing that you come back from these alternate state experiences with? So when you return to sort of consensus reality, what do you do with your knowing? And I would suggest again that you dump the whole Messiah complex part of this that will lead you ultimately into martyrdom, especially within our allopathic medical system around um, psychiatry and psychosis, right? I'm not saying don't ask for help. I'm certainly not saying your perspective is accurate, especially if you're dancing with this whole messianic idea. But I'm saying ask for help from people who will teach you the skills you need to learn to do something constructive in the world with your knowing. So back to Eleanor Longden. She didn't figure it out by herself. She simply had a practitioner who suggested she take her voices seriously and actually learn what they're trying to tell her. So I'm not saying just run off to a shaman necessarily. I'm saying be discerning about the help that you ask for. Ask for it, but be discerning about the help that you ask for. Okay, so that's two groups of people. All right. Now, for those of you who are listening, who are neither the diagnosed mentally ill, quote unquote, or practicing shamanic healers, your task would be to wake up and walk out of the common cultural tendency to see the world through this lens. So how would you do that? So here are some of the things to explore in your journeying. And I share these with you because these are things I come back to periodically, not yearly anymore, but I had to do this in the beginning of my shamanic life because I came to see how in spite of not being raised in the Judeo-Christian paradigm. I still carried it because I'm an American. It's embedded in everything. And so I had to explore, how do I let go of this old story? Because I don't intentionally believe it, but it's there, driving the way that I interpret my life. And so the first thing I journeyed about is to look for, (coughs) excuse me, What are the ways in my life that I am waiting to be rescued? Are you waiting for the right man or the right woman to become the lover that you're meant to be? 
Are you waiting to be rescued from your child-rearing years by your soul's purpose? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting to be rescued for? There are many, many versions of waiting to be rescued by someone or something different. You could also journey to explore how you're waiting for the world to be that different place, that second coming, that place of great unity, how you're waiting for the world to change instead of becoming the person who will change the world by how you choose to live. And I'm not saying messianic complex, I'm the one to change the world. I'm saying from a shamanic perspective, the world will become exactly what we dream it to be. So what are you waiting for? What will it take for you to step up and learn to be a conscious dreamer and to dream the world you dream of into existence? Stop waiting. How are you waiting? That's what you want to journey about. And then the other thing that I really had to look at journeying, and I suggest you do the same, is how your specialness leads you to martyrdom. That truthfully, most people divine their specialness through all they have gained by surviving their childhood. We all suffer exactly the same way, people. Go ask Thich Nhat Hong. He's got beautiful quotes about it. We all suffer the same way. How you survived that suffering does not define you. It is not your uniqueness. It's built character. It's probably turned you into the person who can live your uniqueness. But what makes you special in your life is your uniqueness. And so one journey question is looking at how your specialness leads you into martyrdom. How your empathy, your, your sense of things leads you to being overwhelmed all the time by other people's emotions. How your connection to nature leaves you always depressed and crushed because the earth is so sad. Right? All of these ways that your specialness leads you into martyrdom and knock it off. Ask your helping spirits to help you to see it and ask them to help you find the path out. Now, finally, based on today's idea here, for those of you who are shamanic healers, teachers, and practitioners, this is what I believe we need to do. And I certainly consider myself part of this group as well. We must approach mental illness shamanically. We are shamanic healers, shamanic teachers, for goodness sakes. Let us approach it shamanically. And I'm not saying be at odds with the allopathic pharmaceutical medicine. Just let that system be. Leave it alone. Let it do what it's doing over there. While you create something different here, be alternative. Be other. Be shamanic. Approach mental illness shamanically. Journey with an understanding that from a shamanic perspective, mental illness is never a personal problem. It is a social problem. It is a group problem. And it's not one for one. It's not like Betty Sue's schizophrenia is, is a manifestation of the culture's schizophrenia. It's not that simplistic. It's that the person um, being pushed into this alternate state that is not useful for themselves or others is the sign that the culture itself is out of balance in some way with each other, with the environment, with the spirit world. And it is the job of the shaman to diagnose what that is uniquely in every situation. And then with that diagnosis, understand that shamanic communities can stand in for that diagnosed mentally ill person's community because people say well we can't fix this because what's the community granted that is a challenge but that doesn't mean a group of people committed to working this way including those quote-unquote diagnosed mentally ill can come together and create a community that stands in for the world that holds the space that allows the that does the community healing so that, that person is freed up from the burden of carrying their mental illness work together in your area to begin to see how much impact you can make locally and ask, what do we need to do to become part of the conversation, a legitimate part of this conversation? 
So these are the things we can do no matter where we are in the spectrum of humans standing here in the world. I was going to close today reading this beautiful piece by Claresta Pincola Estes, which is called We Are Made for These Times. And I encourage you to Google it and read it. It's beautiful. And all of us, we, we are made for these times. We are each unique and not one of us is the Messiah. We are here to manifest a face of the divine. And so is everything else around us. We are part of a greater oneness in which all is connected and interconnected. But it is not your job to deliver humanity there. We are already here. It is the present reality. It is our job, each and every one of us, to live that. And I give great thanks for the ancestral helping spirits who have gathered round to help us to do just that. For the earth below that teaches us day in and day out how to do that. The sky above that blesses our efforts and protects us. And I give great thanks to the heart that unites us all in our efforts. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a merry holiday season, however it is that you celebrate.